So Jesus, Peter, James and John just had this unbelievable experience up on the high mountain. Remember we were talking about that last week, about how Jesus took those three disciples up into the mountain. And there He was transformed before their eyes with all of His heavenly glory shining out. And while they were there, dumbfounded, seeing this miraculous transformation happen and seeing Jesus for who He truly is, there Moses and Elijah joined them. And they had this amazing experience of the glory of God overwhelming them like a, like a cloud. And out of the cloud, the voice of God the Father saying, this is my Son. Listen to Him. An amazing experience. The Bible is full of these amazing experiences up on the mountaintop that are then very quickly followed by coming down into the valley and and being slapped in the face with the reality and the evil of our world. We've seen it time and again. Moses up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments and then coming down and seeing the people of Israel worshiping a golden calf. Elijah there up on the mountain in the cave and and God's glory passing before him in that still small voice and then coming down out of the mountain and being faced with the evil of Jezebel and Ahab and all of the priests of, uh, of Baal and Asherah. Time and time again, we see this, this image and, and this is exactly the same pattern that we now see Jesus and His disciples. And it's, it's significant, that voice of God speaking, this is My Son, Listen to Him. You remember that same voice came out of heaven when Jesus was baptized. Almost saying the same words, but at that time, the voice was directed for Jesus' sake. You remember the words were, You are My beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Here, the voice was for the disciples. This whole experience of them seeing Jesus transformed into His heavenly glory was, was for the disciples to be able to give them the strength and the, uh, the, the anchor point to face the days that would be coming with Jesus' sacrifice and their recognition that, that as Jesus was called to suffering and sacrifice, that they too, as His followers, were being called to that same path, that same journey, sacrifice, suffering, and pain. And they needed to hear God say, this is my son. Listen to him. And so they come down into the valley full of all of this wonder and awe. And what do they come up on? (laughs) the chaos of this world. Mark, in this this, uh, account of 
of healing of this demon-possessed young man, Mark's gospel gives us the most detail of the, of the other synoptics. Both Matthew and Luke talk about it, but it's, it's in a very quick, short passage. But Mark wants us to experience the, the, the chaos, the, the turmoil of coming down off of the mountain and seeing the ugliness of this world, seeing the evil and all of its destructiveness coming at them, seeing the, the conflict and the tension. They come down into the scene and there are the rest of the disciples surrounded by this huge crowd and they are in argument, they're in debate, they're in conflict with the, with the, with the teachers of the law. The scribes are there. The text, Mark, doesn't tell us what they're arguing about, but as we look at the context, we can very quickly assume that it has something to do with this young man who was possessed by a demon and their inability to be able to set him free. Remember uh, uh, back in the fall, we were talking about that the account where Jesus sends out his 12 into, into, the, into the region to be able to preach the good news to, to set captives free. And they, they came back to Jesus praising God because they had been able to see healings happen. They had seen uh, uh, demon-possessed people set free. And they were just amazed at what God was doing through them in this great ministry. And now here they are, this young man, Jesus is away, and they're unable to see this young man set free. And you, you can understand their anxiety in all of this. Jesus left them with this responsibility and they had this opportunity of proclaiming and, and, and extending the kingdom of God in the world. And these people came and, and you can probably imagine that they were very confident because they had seen this happen before. God had been able to set people free from demon possession through their commands. And so they were probably there with maybe a little bit of cockiness declaring, demon, I command you to come out. And nothing happened. And, and maybe they even uh, invoked the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out. And nothing. And the, the murmurs of the crowd start building up and start uh, getting them a little bit nervous and they got a little bit more desperate. And, and there was some, some uh, uh, mocking from the scribes because here they saw these, these people that had been uh, uh, against them, they had been antagonistic towards that they were trying to, to silence the message of Jesus. They saw the, 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 the great crowds that were following him and they wanted to do something and here was their opportunity. And, and so maybe they got into, to, into conflict and started arguing with, why are you using the name of Jesus? What power is the name of Jesus? You remember that just a number of chapters ago, they, they accused Jesus of casting out demons by the name of Beelzebub. Maybe, maybe they were starting to, to again, re resurrect that argument to say that you can't cast out demons by Jesus' name. He is, he is in league with the devil. How can you set anybody free? And there's this 
conflict and the crowd is gathering around and they're murmuring and they're shouting in their two cents and and Jesus and the disciples come down into this chaos. And when the people see Jesus, they get excited. The crowds rush towards Him because here they had heard all of these things that Jesus was able to do. And now they had an opportunity to be able to, to see Him actually at work. And Jesus asks a very straightforward question. What are you arguing with them about? Why are you even in the midst of this debate? And it's a good question. Because in the midst of all of this turmoil, all of this theological uh, banter back and forth, there's a young man whose life is being destroyed. Maybe there was some theological discussion going back and forth. Well, can a, a, a child of Abraham actually be possessed by a demon? Aren't we covered by the blood? Or aren't we covered by God's power and, and, and rescued from that? How could, who knows? You kind of hear some of the same theological debates going on around it today. Can a follower of Christ? Be demon possessed? Is there even demon possession? Is is that was something that was just for the time of the apostles, and there's a, a cessation of those gifts now? You you can hear all of that debate going on, and in the midst of that debate, there still are lives being destroyed by the power of evil. I, I was struck by the the words of the father here about how. How uh, since childhood this this uh, 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 demon had been tormenting this this young boy, how he would throw him down into into fire and into water, and it reminded me of of the the encounter that Jesus had with the demon possessed man up there in the Gerasenes on the the edge of the uh, the Sea of Galilee, who had, was possessed by a legion of demons. And how the demons, when they saw Jesus, asked, don't cast us out into the pit. Instead, uh, send us into those pigs. And so Jesus obliges them and sends them into the pigs. And what do they do? <laughs> they go and destroy the pigs and themselves totally. That is the nature of evil. It destroys it doesn't even care that it's destroying itself. It doesn't even care that it's consuming itself. It just wants to destroy everything that it can. And here we see that act actively being played out in this child's life. That, that the demon is just trying to kill it, trying to kill this boy in whatever way that it can, whether it drowns it, whether it burns him up, whatever, that he wants to just destroy and destroy. And we see that in our world today, right? Doesn't even care that it's destroying the lies that, it is, that it's overtaking. 
It has this ideology that, that if it mutilates, if it, if it, if it can, can bring war and, and turn brother against brother, whatever, it, even in the fact of destroying marriages and families, it doesn't care. It just wants to wreck everything. That's evil. And this cry of this desperate father Jesus says, what are you arguing about? And the only one with any sense is this father who knows exactly what's on his heart. He doesn't care about the theological arguments, about the the banter back and forth, about who's right, who's wrong. All he knows is, my son has a spirit that makes him mute, and whenever it seizes it, it throws him down and foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. I'm just looking for somebody to save my son. And I wonder how often, how often in, in, in our church conflicts, the arguments, the disagreements that we have between different denominations, different church traditions, we get focused on this is the right way and we have to be we have to to argue out our point that this is the way that that the end times are supposed to come out or this is the kinds of people who can be involved in ministry and these are the people that are excluded this is what it means to 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 baptize and this is what it means to to be a part of the covenant community and we get so caught up in all of these arguments that we totally miss the fact that there are people who are being destroyed We're surrounded by people whose lives are being eaten up by evil. Jesus says, how long has this been happening to him? And the father says, from childhood. And again, it casts him into fire and water and destroy him. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. There, there are a number of difficult parts of this passage. Uh, things that are, are, are challenging for us to translate for a number of different reasons. Um, this next statement of Jesus, uh, you can go through, I don't know how many different translations and come up with all kinds of different ways that people have tried to present this to us. Part of the problem is is that in the original Greek text that we have, they didn't use punctuation. There was no Greek punctuation at that time. So we don't know if this is a question. We don't know if this is a statement. Um, There was no commas. There was no period. So we don't know at what point Jesus was saying, if you can, if that was a hard stop or if there was a, a, a comma there and continuing on. And so all kinds of different people have, have tried to, uh, to translate this and it's, it is awkward. And, and there are those that would put a question mark after if you can, as if to say, uh, if you can, like, haven't you heard what I've done? Haven't you, don't you know who I am, what I can do? It's possible. I, it's, it's, it's not unreasonable. 
There's others that put a comma if there. If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. As a, just a, a, an overall statement of faith. That's, that certainly is possible as well. As I've been looking at this, I, I, I kind of like, like the ESV, the way that it's translated this with a, an exclamation mark. And, and I would go a little bit further to, to also put in bold you. If you can. How many times have we seen Jesus give people an opportunity to allow the power of God to work through them? The disciples at the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. Again, the disciples giving them the the ability and sending them out to, to preach the Word of God. Jesus, when, when He is confronted by the paralyzed man who was being lowered down by His friends, He saw their faith and said to the man, your sins are healed. So many times Jesus is inviting us to participate in this freedom work of the kingdom of God, in the, the bringing forth of, uh, of speaking truth and healing and restoration into the lives of people who are broken. And I almost wonder if, if Jesus isn't saying to this Father, you can! If you believe, anything is possible. And I love this because it resonates with my heart so well. The Father's cry. I believe! (laughs) I want to believe my son can be healed. My son can be set free. I absolutely believe. I've heard the words. I've heard the testimony of what you have done. And I believe. But please, help my unbelief. Because there's still part of me that is, is cold and hard and, and I don't even dare to hope that my boy could be set free. Help my unbelief. Oh, how many times, right? How many times have I faced overwhelming odds? said, Lord, I know that you can, but, but there's still part of me that's scared. I don't know how we're going to make it through this next season. Help my unbelief. Oh, that is the prayer of faith. Honest faith. That's exactly what God is looking for. That's exactly what Jesus was looking for. So He says, calls the boy to Him. And He rebukes the Spirit. You mute, deaf Spirit. I command you, come out of Him. (laughs) And never come back. Never enter Him again. And then this really weird part. After crying out and convulsing Him terribly, it did come out, but the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, 
He is dead. I'm wondering if this is kind of like the two-stage healing of the blind man. That there was that moment when Jesus spit and touched his eyes. And then said, can you see? And the man looked around and said, I see men, but they're like trees walking around. And then Jesus touched him again. And he was completely restored and could see. I don't know if that's the same kind of thing to help Mark is trying to help us remember that, that, there, that there is this continual need for us to be in contact with the Savior. To looking for the touch of God in our lives. Uh, not just to kind of do a quick one and done and then I'm off on my own. But, but that I need the constant care, the constant connection with our spirit, with, with the Lord through His Spirit in our lives. So Jesus grabbed His hand and lifted Him up and He arose. <laughs> Evil loses again. It wants to destroy passionate about ending life, ending joy, ending love. <laughs> but in the face of our Savior, there is nothing, nothing that can stand against Him. Life will prevail. Oh, does our world need to be set free today? That evil permeates so much of our culture, so much of the institutions of our society, that, that, that it is, is just seeking to destroy and tear apart everything that is good and is right in our world. Our world needs the touch of the Savior. Do you believe? Do you believe that, that Jesus can actually set this, this world to right? <laughs> I believe. Help my unbelief. Because sometimes it just seems so hopeless. Maybe there's somebody that's near and dear to you that that you have been praying for, you have been seeking the Lord, that they would come to faith, that they would find life and hope and joy in Jesus Christ. And yet it just seems like every time you try and say something, every time you try and reach out with that love, it's like the door closes. The, 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 hard, the, the heart gets harder. The walls go up a little bit higher, a little bit thicker. And it seems like this is never going to happen. Jesus says, if you believe, anything is possible. The disciples are just like us. Why? Lord, why? What did we do wrong? 
where, where was our formula off? What, what steps did we miss in this? Did we, did we say the wrong words? Uh, was, there, was there some kind of incantation? Was our heart not ready? Was there something that, that was in the way in our lives? What could we do differently that would have resulted in this man being set free? What, what was missing from our efforts? Jesus' answer is very clear. And and it is the answer for all of those circumstances and situations in our lives that seem impossible, overwhelming. He says, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. kind of makes you wonder <laughs> which kind can be driven out without prayer? <laughs> what problems can we face that we don't need God's help, but instead we can just handle it on our own? I had an interesting conversation this week. I got a call from somebody, uh, a former member of our congregation who through a series of connections, had heard of somebody that was looking for help in our area. And anyway, she texted me, and, uh, and I got in touch with this one person who was actually asking for help for another person, but started got talking with this individual and hearing a little bit about the story of his life. Um, talking about the... I, I was asking him, there have been situations in your life where you've seen spiritual forces at work? He said, oh, yeah. I recounted a number of points in his life when, when there were just these really clear moments when he would walk into a room and there was just this, this evil presence that was there. How had a roommate who, who he would go into the room and as soon as you walked in the room there was this smell of death but it was only in this one part and as soon as you got through that suddenly it was clear again. And, and I admit as he was talking I'm getting chills up and down my spine, right? And he said, you're probably going to ask me what I think about Jesus. <laughs> Well, I was going to get there eventually. And he said, he said, I don't, I don't really believe in any of that stuff. He said, but, but I know that there's something about the name of Christ. He said, because there have been times in my life when I have been faced with just that presence of evil. And I have, I have said, in the name of Christ, get out of here. And it did. And it happened. He said, so I don't know what it is, but there is something about the name of Christ. And it's true. It's a little surprising that that name has power coming out of the mouth who has nothing, of someone who has nothing to do with Jesus, has no faith I guess maybe a little bit. Maybe there's a mustard seed 
of faith there in that heart to at least use the name. But the name of Jesus is powerful. And it has an effect on the evil of this world. But if we really want to see God's kingdom victorious over the evil in this world, it's going to need more than just a little throwing around of the name of Jesus to try and, and, and get some healing, get some freedom. It's going to take us as His people on our knees in prayer asking God, just like the Father, I believe, help my unbelief. I don't know how to face this, Lord, but I need You to come in. What Jesus is saying here is that, that this kind can only come out when we fully put our faith in God to come and intervene on our behalf. That, that there isn't any right formula that's going to be effective for setting this situation right. For seeing the light and the truth of Jesus Christ infuse this circumstance, this person's life. That we are only going to see victory as we put ourselves in the place of saying, Lord, there is nothing that I can do. I need You to come in. And Jesus' words are absolutely true. If you believe, nothing is impossible. I think He said that differently. Anything is possible. Do you believe that? Are you ready to see that? This gentleman that I was talking to is, is just a very small representative of our community whose lives are being consumed by evil. And there is, there is definitely something about this island. And I, I, I think... My perspective, I think it's because this island has had so many people who have been very, very much opposed to Jesus and have sought spirituality in, in many other kinds of ways. And there's a lot of spirituality in our communities that is very, very dark and very evil. And for us as a church family, if we are going to have an impact on the lives of the people in this community, if we are going to see those neighbors, those friends, those co-workers, those family members set free from the destruction of evil, it's only going to happen as we pray. As we, like that Father, say, Lord, I believe You can do anything. 
Would you come and set this person free? It's not going to be through any kind of program. I've had opportunity of having some connection with a number of different deliverance ministries, and they have their set formulas and all those kinds of things. And, and I, I don't want to badmouth them at all. I think they're, they're genuine people and wanting to do things uh, in, in God's power. But, but I know that it's my tendency to depend on those processes rather than just wholly surrendering to God and saying, Lord, You come. You set these people free. You do a work in this person's life. I will be whatever you need me to be in order to speak your truth and be a tool to be used by you in that situation, in that person's life. Only by prayer. Maybe the Lord is putting some things on your, in your mind right now or placing on your heart some people that, that you've, that your heart has been breaking over. People that you would love to see set free. You've seen the destructive power of evil in their lives. And you want to see them set free. It will happen as you pray and invite the Holy Spirit to come and make a difference. To invite the blood of Jesus to come and wash that person clean. And to surrender yourself in that prayer to listen for what God is saying you and how He's calling you to be an active role in His work. If you can, anything is possible. Not because of of your great faith, but because of who you put your faith in. So Lord, we look for You to do a work. Because we recognize that we are wholly unable to make a difference in these people's lives in these situations and times. And so we come to You in prayer with faith, but an honest faith to recognize that we're still scared. We're still tentative. And we need You to come and do Your miraculous power in the lives of our loved ones. And just like it says in Luke at the end of this account, they all praised God. We will give you all of the credit. We will give you all of the praise. Our hearts and our minds and our voices will lift up Your name above all others and worship and praise You. Because You alone are able. We thank You. Amen.